Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. I'm Paul Heller. I forgot who I was for a sec. Yeah, you brief. There was there was there's too much of a pause there yeah. for it for it to be just for effect. Um, so anyway, welcome to the show today. Um, we are continuing our apparent four part series. <laughs> on the draft recap of the NFL as we make our way through the divisions, but we have a couple pieces of um, hot-button discussion topics that are going on in the wild, wild world of sports we figured we would open with um, so as to give them their due at the beginning of the episode before you get exhausted of hearing our voices. Um, and I, uh, I, I... Let's start with baseball, I guess, because then we can close... We can go football to football. Works for me. Sure. It really doesn't matter. Um... So the Oakland A's uh, have gotten permission from MLB to seek out possible locations for relocation should their stadium proposal not be taken up by the city of Oakland. And this is a very tried and true tactic for getting stadium financing done, threatening to leave. And we've seen it with Oakland specifically twice in the last three years, um, having just lost the Oakland Raiders to Las Vegas and the Golden State Warriors to San Francisco. So this is not new in sports. This is not new in Oakland. But this is interesting because, well, for one thing, the Oakland A's have been a fixture of Oakland for a very long time ever since they came to Oakland in the 68 season, 69 season. Um, they've been there ever since. And they are a the Oakland Coliseum, while it has many, many issues as a fixture of that town. And the, you know, Kelly Green and Gold is very much so a color scheme that I think is representative of the area at this point. Um, and to that effect, the Oakland A's have issued what is one of the more city-friendly um, stadium proposals I've ever seen. And it makes the fact that this is getting drawn out so much kind of interesting. Um, so let's walk through some of the facts and figures real quick. And we're not going to get too down in the weeds on it. We're going to look pretty big picture just because we this isn't going to be a too in-depth thing. Um, I'll highlight the points of contention. But basically what, what what the Oakland A's are asking to do, would like to do, is they would like to relocate to uh, a Bayfront venue, kind of like what San Francisco, the Giants have, where Oracle Field um, is against McCovey Cove. They, they would like, uh, they're, the Oakland A's are asking for, or are hoping to go um, at uh, at Jack London Square, I believe is what this is called. Uh, in Howard Terminal, I don't really know Oakland very well, but that's what we're that's what we got here. Um, so they are they're offering to privately finance the stadium, do uh, public works projects in the area, and build um, low income and or, or sustainable housing in the area, apartment buildings. Um, and they're also looking for they uh they're projecting 3624 
on-site employment opportunities. Uh, this is all in all going to be 6.6 .6 million square feet of um, public works project. Uh, they're projecting $3 billion of economic benefit in the form of new jobs and increased spending. Um, they want to have a gondola system that would carry passengers that would cost, uh, that would bring in $685 million a year. Uh, there, there's a lot of facts and figures with it. The basic point of it being the Oakland A's are offering to pay basically all of it. There is one point that has, I guess, become the point of contention about where the money comes from. And that is uh, the Oakland A's are asking for some help from the city for paying for infrastructure, redoing some of the roads, stuff that they wouldn't be allowed to touch anyway. Uh, and that would come to the tune of about $855 million uh, for infrastructure upgrades. And I believe that is spread out. I believe the way it's structured, just if, if I'm reading this article correctly, and if what I've been hearing is right, is that the A's will pay it up front and then the city will pay the A's back over time. So it wouldn't even be a true upfront cost. Mm -hmm. And again, in the scheme of stadium financing, which has been super shitty for decades because teams have dropped their shorts to keep teams that probably weren't going to fucking leave anyway to stay in town by offering them insane tax um, incentives to stay in the area. Everything, everyone is right to be skeptical. This mm -hmm. one, though, does genuinely feel very different. This kind of feels to me like Oakland has kind of let this information out there on their end just as a, hey, we're trying to we're trying to get this done. We're trying to work to reach this goal to get this deal worked out. You know, we're putting the cards on the table. This is a, you know, like you said, a very city friendly deal. This isn't, you know, $855 million is a huge amount of money spread over a 10, 20 year lifespan. I mean, the, the Oakland Coliseum right now is 55 years old, which there's plenty of older stadiums, but my goodness, there's, you know, it's not like this is, anywhere close to MLB average as far as venues is concerned, but it's really not an extensive amount of money for reference the city of Oakland. I know it's New York city, but the NYC police department alone costs $10.2 billion a year. Right. And there's certain stadiums that we've seen, you know, with uh, Las Vegas and with LA about the amount of money and, that the city would have to commit. And I feel like we should look this up, but I feel like the LA one was like one point, like one and a half billion dollars that they would need from the city to build the stadium. Um, if you want to, you know, look that up or. Yeah, I'm working on it. But it's really like, this is not something where it's like, ah, shit, those rich owners are really trying to drag all the money um, out that they can, you know, billionaire NFL team owners billionaire mlb team owners this that 10 other things uh the total cost of the stadium was 1.6 billion or sorry 1.9 billion oh really i um, have for the rams i have it at 5.5 billion oh i'm looking at well that's a that's an entire complex i'm looking at las vegas right now oh i'm looking at los angeles los angeles okay yeah but that's like a, a multi-area complex yeah, it, but it, even it's then a that's just that's a huge amount of money no yeah. doubt about it. I can't find the um, um, public financing of it, though. 
Davis said he wanted to move the Raiders to Las Vegas and pledged $500 million towards the construction of the proposed $2.4 billion dome stadium. Gee, thanks. That's quite a difference in breakdown between those two. Um, oh, no, sorry. This The, the $5.5 billion for the Rams is apparently going to be entirely privately financed. That's fantastic. I mean, still fuck Stan Cranky, but hey, that's great. Yeah, uh, it's one of those things where it's not the craziest thing in the world. I mean, I think they, regardless, this does not seem like a wild ask, especially with it being the only sports team left in Oakland. I think they have that kind of leverage especially since it's not difficult to move to San Diego or San Francisco, move down the road. Just it probably up to Portland, if we're being honest here. Yeah. Which um, I wouldn't mind. I would also say that there seems, and, and I, I, I don't want to detract from the city of Oakland being highly skeptical of a stadium deal. It, it city of Oakland has a lot of things that they should, you know, should need to and have to pay for. And I understand that any money that doesn't go directly towards those things can be looked at with a sideways glance because it might be seen as money that's not being well spent. That is certainly appreciated. At the same time, I also think that part of the reason this feels so different is that this money is going towards infrastructure, which is something that every city should be investing more in anyway, because every city, every road in every city everywhere is hot fucking garbage. Um, Whatever road you live on at home, I bet it fucking sucks. The road I live on here fucking sucks. Every road sucks. And so the idea that we're investing, that the the, the Oakland A's are, are asking the city of Oakland to invest in infrastructure to improve the conditions around the stadium that would also be serving as a place to have jobs and, and, and housing, um, honestly, also makes sense from a city perspective which would make it feel kind of even weirder if they said no to this, if, if everything outside of that is to be financed by the ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it really begs the question of what is a city's responsibility to a sports team? I don't think, and I think all of us who pay attention closely to these things would say fucking nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. Fuck. Cause you know what? Those sports teams, they got to fucking play somewhere. And let mm-hmm. me tell you, they, they're not going to be playing in like Toledo. They're, they're going to pick major media markets eventually. Um, but this money in particular is actually seems to be going towards a public works project and not just a tax write-off so that a billionaire can keep an extra few million dollars in his pocket per year. Like th- 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 this one actually does seem to make sense in a joint venture kind of situation. But again, I don't want to detract from the city of Oakland here. If, if they elect to say we're going to take the $855 million over 10 years and spend it on education, who the fuck's going to say no to that? Um, but it- I will say to play devil's advocate, we don't know what the breakdown, breakdown is for these infrastructure, um, you know, the, the total cost of that. It easily could be the infrastructures to build up, you know, an entryway, you know, bring the highway towards, you know, and into the area and and those kind of things. And the actual job creation, housing creation, things like that is a very small portion of it. But at the same time, like you said, it's, it's 
investment wise, this is really nothing to scoff at. This is a drop in the bucket long term over a 10 year span at the very least for a city's budget. Right. And again, I, I think that is certainly more than fair. Um, it, it, it's such an interesting case because there really, I don't think is a wrong answer necessarily. It is truly both sides trying to do right by their stakeholders but they're slightly at odds with what would be required to make this fully happen, mm-hmm. but not enough to keep this from happening. So it's, it's interesting. So the, a single year budget for the city of Oakland is around $1.65 billion. And if we spread this out over, you know, a 10 year plan, this is what? 85 million per year. That's just about, you know, that's what half a percent. And the Oakland A's are saying that, you know, increased tax revenue from everything that would go into the economic impact of these in, these districts that um, yeah, Howard Terminal at what, what did I say? It was Howard Terminal and what Jack London. Yeah, Jack London um, would help contribute towards paying this down uh, again. I don't I don't see a breakdown for how it goes, but even if it was take the tax revenue from just these two fucking areas, throw it our way and call it a day. I mean, I'm not sure how long that would take. Again, I don't know what the financial impact to the city is for that. If that's worth it for them, if that crosses over to the threshold of acceptability, whatever. But again, out of all of the stadium deals that we have seen over our lifetimes and looking back on into you know years before ours, this is one of the more interesting ones because it really genuinely seems to be a hand-in-hand partnership instead of a bend over, here it comes. <laughs> we weren't planning on leaving and we're going to fuck you anyway. It's ridiculous. Well, I hope yeah. it gets done because Oakland deserves a new stadium. Um New and the stadiums, A's. better stadiums are, yeah, and the A's, absolutely. That's kind of what I meant by Oakland. No, um, I mean, like, the o- Oakland deserves a new stadium, and they deserve to keep the A's. Got it. Yeah, I yeah, agree that was with both. fat phrasing on my end. <laughs> uh, are we not doing phrasing? Uh, but, yeah, I hope it works. Uh, you know, better venues, better stadiums is Lana? better for all of baseball. Lana! Lana! <laughs> what? Danger zone. <laughs> Fucking love that show. Such a good show. Oakland. Uh, yeah, so we'll see what, what happens with this. Like Corwin said, I think the general consensus around the A's issuing a statement saying that they're looking into relocation as due diligence is just them saying to the city of Oakland, hey, can we like fucking hurry up because this stadium blows ass and we don't want to have to spend money or earmark future dollars on repair costs if we're going to either be building a new stadium or leaving very soon. So can you please hurry the fuck up? <laughs> um and, you know, then they get Oakland A's fans who will be shitty to the city of Oakland and their, and their Twitter mentions. And that, that matters for something, I guess. Absolutely <laughs> um, does. All right. So then let, let, we'll table this until uh, until there's another development. Again, fingers crossed this gets done this year. Um, but we shall see. Um, now let's move on to another contentious thing that's happening in the wild world of sports. And that brings us actually back over to the NFL as Tim Tebow is re-emerging in the NFL, signing as a tight end 
with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, he has not signed yet. They've kind of backpedaled a little bit in that regard. Is They're not announcing a signing yet. They're still deciding if they're going to make the decision. But Urban Meyer loves his competitive edge, was saying how he wanted him in there because of that competitive edge and that he earned a spot. But, man, that is – that's a wild signing if it goes through. That's just Tim Tebow has not played a football game in nine years. He's not played. He's played professional baseball, but at a very low level. Both, you know, he played in what, double A? He didn't quite make it to triple A, or did they call him up for like a week? Oh, I actually don't remember. I'll look up his batting stats and find out for you, but uh, he didn't get very high, I'll tell you that. Yeah, and it's not like he performed well when he was there, so... It's one thing being a 33-year-old tight end. There's, you know, it's hard to get to that point overall. He did play for AAA Syracuse for the Mets in 2019. Copy that. Um, But at the end of the day, there's not many 33-year-old tight ends that can make a difference on the field. There's not many guys who pick up the sport or transition to tight end late on in their career that doesn't happen and to do both after not playing professional football for nine years is just a wild wild statement um i just i if i had to put a number on you know a probability of his success it's it's zero there's no way and do you have to ask yourself like is this pure publicity you see, I, I, I can't agree with the publicity aspect that I've seen people mention because you have the first overall pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. Like, pe- people are going to want to go to Jacksonville Jaguars games because you have Trevor Lawrence. Like, for once, your team actually seems like they might be trending up for real. Not a fluky Blake Bortles one-off season where you go, this can't possibly happen twice. And then it, of course, does not. Like, it's – you have a, a guy there. You don't need – Tim Tebow. And additionally, I think the the big point behind this and the reason this is such a problematic signing is that there was people been saying that Colin Kaepernick can't come back into the NFL because he's been out of the league for too long. And then in walks this fucking guy, Tim Tebow, white as snow, and he gets picked up immediately in a position he hasn't even played. I don't necessarily I don't want to throw that that bundle of just I don't want to put that kind of pressure and that kind of connection on this because it's not like people are saying Tim Tebow can do this and it's not like this is done for any reason other than Urban Meyer coached him at Florida when he was the real Tim Tebow and like I think there's way too many other scenarios that point towards that and for why this is being done not because Specifically, he's a, a white player that can do it. And no, my, my, my point Kaepernick. is that Colin Kaepernick is a black player, so they're not going to let him do it. Because at the end of the day, as we've talked about many times, this is a big fucking club and you're not in it. But at the end of the day, and though, Tim, I also... Tebow no, got, Tim Tebow is getting this opportunity wholly undeservedly because he knows somebody. But it's and while I do understand it's like, hey, Tim Tebow's getting this and it's in no way fair for any other player. It's not like I think Colin Kaepernick could come back at this stage. Uh, no, but he not, wouldn't be given the opportunity that, nearly... that Tebow's getting. Right. That That's the whole point is that one of these things has actually happened and the other one hasn't. 
All right, that's fair. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think Kaepernick is would make a starting roster at this point after having right. been out of the NFL so long. We have no fucking clue. He's been out for a while. <laughs> um, and he plays a really tough position, and he played it very physically. And those types of players end up um, slowing down very quickly because all of a sudden, if you can't use your legs as effectively as you could six years ago or however long it's been, um, well, hey, your game might really suffer. Um, but, thought? yeah, it, it, shocking how that works but it's really just the fact that like there's someone willing to take a chance on tebow at this point so much farther removed from the game but uh one of the main excuses we've heard about why kaepernick has never made it back into the nfl was because he's been out for too long and Meyer just was like fuck it i'm bringing i'm bringing this christian sandwich back here oh don't don't call him that that's gross Thank you, Tim Tebow's a Christian sandwich. No, thanks. Um, I've got I book deals. Say, I played for the Mets. It's it's going to be hilarious to watch and follow as a uh, as a storyline because it's it's not going to end well in any capacity, and it's it's probably going to be embarrassing if anything. Like watching Tim Tebow get laid out, watching him drop easy catches, watching him just not be able to perform against that kind of competition, even in, you know, the off season during OTAs, things like that. I get, he's going to get, you know, get hype and he's going to be, you know, a vocal leader and he's going to give these crazy speeches that we're going to see on ESPN 1500 times, but Oh my God, I don't care. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a very Jacksonville thing to do to um, have the slight possibility of good press, which is to them basically just, maybe winning games with Trevor Lawrence and immediately going, how can we ruin this? It's so dumb because if anything, it's just taking away from what Trevor Lawrence is doing. It's not right. like, I don't want to call it a, a major distraction because it's not, I don't think 90% of the guys on the team will even give a shit. It's just, you do have the first overall pick. You do have this franchise changing player and as much as he deserves every second of discussion that he can get, he's gonna, there's gonna be some people who are focusing more on Tim Tebow, and that's just why. Yeah, it, it's, and this was gonna be my, my closing thought is that this is a really shit position for Urban Meyer to put Trevor Lawrence in because here you have a rookie quarterback who, you know, kind of needs to be a leader in the locker room to a certain extent right away. And mm-hmm. this is going to be, very contentious in the locker room <clears throat> because here you have a guy that people on the outside are saying undeserving or is undeserving of this opportunity. People in the NFL, active players are making comments about this all over Twitter and elsewhere in the social media landscape about how this is ridiculous and he's undeserving. And I'd imagine that there's some players in that locker room who are going to have the same thoughts. You know, it, this is the same sport that forced Colin Kaepernick out to a certain extent. And I can't imagine that some people in the Jacksonville locker room aren't going to harbor some sympathetic feelings towards Kaepernick and his situation and look at this sideways with a sideways glance. And it's going to be on Trevor Lawrence to a certain extent to be like, Hey, can I like not get sacked and also throw a football to somebody? And that's, that's a really, this would be a make maybe a little bit more sense if the, Jaguars were on like their last desperate attempt to make the playoffs in a tough division instead of get out the gate on a good foot forward with a rookie 
quarterback. Like it just, ah, uh, it's just awful. And I imagine if there's going to be anyone that is upset or has is going to take things more negatively than others, it's going to be the guys in the tight end room who are going to lose friends who are cut because they're making room for Tim Tebow. Someone like they have a limited number in the offseason. There's like 90 guys on that team. One of them has to get cut to make room for Tim Tebow. That is a disgusting thought. Or in, in a better sense, one guy's not going to get a job this year because Tim Tebow wants to come back. Yeah, it's just next level insanity. So, ain't it, ain't it a treat, folks? Ain't it a treat? But, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. Like you, like Corbin said, the signing isn't technically official. It was widely reported uh, a day or two ago that it was going to be happening, and we're just kind of waiting to see if that actually does end up going through. But it has been widely reported that it is going to happen, so we shall see. Um, but to any effect, let's take it over to the main subject of today's episode, the draft. Still recapping it. We got to go to the south. So we're going to start with the AFC South. And again, we will start by divisional standings, which means we are rolling with our local everyday Tennessee Titans. Corwin, you ready to get started? Uh, Once I find the Tennessee Titans. All right. Well, to give you time, I have to read the names. Um, Fuck you, you, website. How many? Okay. Um, All right. So the Tennessee Titans took. Cornerback Caleb Farley, offensive tackle Dylan Radunz, linebacker Monty Rice, cornerback Elijah Molden, wide receiver Des Fitzpatrick, defensive end Rashad Weaver, wide receiver Racy McMath, and safety Brady Breeze. Wow, he they, he got drafted on name alone. Brady Breeze. Anyway. He uh, should be a quarterback. <laughs> oh, I'd hate it. I'd hate it so much. You're You're right. Yeah, that was definitely a kid who was born into a football family. But anyway. Uh, I mean, he's 21 and named Brady. Yeah. Where do you think he was born? Mm, I'll say New York. I'll say somewhere like Connecticut. No, Oregon. He's from Oregon. As went to University of Oregon. And he, oops, he's from Oregon. All right. All right. Anyway, Corwin, tell me about this draft. Yeah, I mean. I really like the Caleb Farley pick. If I know there was a lot of injury concerns, which sparked his fall to 22. If he can come back and he can, you know, he's expected to be healthy by the start of training camp. But if he can avoid the injury bug that he's kind of been plagued with throughout his entire career, I think he's going to be an excellent, excellent player and a fantastic value for Tennessee. I just don't see many other difference makers in this class. I mean, uh, Dylan Radins had, he has some promise for sure, but he spent the majority, you know, not the majority, he spent his career at North Dakota State where he's not facing the same kind of competition and is already a little bit raw for, you know, the position. He's got the size, the athleticism, not quite the best athleticism you're going to find around, but at the same time, this is a projection pick. Um, you know, he's going to need some time, and I don't necessarily think that's going to be the best fit for them especially after burning their first round pick on a uh, right tackle that's no longer in the league uh this year so it just didn't move the needle for me this draft i know we talked about previously about you know 
the needle isn't going to move very much in any way, regardless. And and Tennessee did have a good team, but I don't necessarily think these are the best picks around. Uh, again, Josh knows nothing about who college prospects are. So ignoring all that, ignoring everything Corwin just said. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it's also tough because it, um, Tennessee is in a weird spot where they feel, they feel to me, like a watered down version of like the 2016, 2017 Rams where there's good pieces kind of scattered around, but they're really getting by on great coaching and good depth. Now, obviously the Rams had way better star power. They had Aaron Donald, who is one of the greatest football players of all time. Um, And a little bit more of a marquee name with Jared Goff at that point in time. Yeah. One of the best football players of all time. Mm -hmm. Yep. Still salty. Uh, what about Aaron about, Donald beating? Oh, no, I, I, yeah. about you. Uh, first of all, yes, I am still salty about TJ Watt not winning defensive player of the year. Uh, but that was more of a Jared Goff being the best player of all time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 classic Jared Goff. Um, he's a surefire first ballot downgraded Hall of Famer. to downgraded to Matt Stafford. It happens, uh, it happens to the best of us. Eventually, we all get replaced with Matt Stafford. Um, but anyway, it, it feels a bit like that, and it's tough because uh, Tennessee, probably their biggest forward-looking need is quarterback. Too low in the draft to get it. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, I might have said wide receiver. Um, uh, that's, I would have been right up there. I mean, I think cornerback and wide receiver were the big ones. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they waited till you know the fourth round, Des Fitzpatrick is not a, a guy who's going to make a big difference. A sixth round racy Mc McMath, wild name, isn't moving the needle for me either. I just don't think they. It's the AJ Brown show essentially, and that's all it's going to be this year. Yeah, um, I mean they invested really heavily in a lot in, of pressure on Derrick Henry. I was going to say so they they clearly invested a lot in the defense here, and I'm assuming that they're hoping that they win a lot more games like seventeen to ten, mm-hmm. <laughs> something Run like that. The ball control the time of the. Uh, time of possession, control the clock, and and let the defense do the work. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Tannehill has been significantly better than everybody expected during his time so far in Tennessee. That doesn't mean he's been phenomenal, but he's been significantly better than anybody would have thought coming out of his Miami years. Um, but at the same time, you shouldn't bank on that. Um, I get maybe being caught in between here because you couldn't get um, one of the, the top quarterbacks in the draft where you were positioned and um, there wasn't the next wide receiver taken after their pick was Rashad Bateman, who ended up going to Baltimore. I definitely have Caleb Farley purely as a, a prospect ahead of Rashad Bateman. But at the end of the day, if he can't be healthy, if he can't be on the field, the best ability is availability. And Rashad Bateman's an excellent, excellent wide receiver. So, yeah, I, I'm wondering if maybe they got caught in like an in-between hop and they just kind of went for a position of need, if not, although though it may not be their greatest need, but tough to say. Um, does this move the needle for you for their ability to maintain the division? Um, they'll maintain the division. They were first. <laughs> um, so it's it's them, the Colts, the Jags, and Houston? Not in that order, but yes. But like the teams in the division, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not a tough division. I don't have a lot of faith in Carson Wentz. 
I don't have any faith in the rest of the Jags team or anything to do with Houston. So, um, yeah, I think they're still in the lead there. Yeah, again, they're getting by mostly on coaching, so it's tough to look at play, you know some personnel churn um, at non-premium positions and say that it's going to move the needle in any way. You can get the best safety in the world and still fucking suck. Uh, look at the Jets in the Jamal Adams era. <laughs> um, he was an amazing safety that I guess made sense for us to take at six since we got so much in return for him. Um, but you can, it's not a premium position as Corbin has said many times, it is the running back of the backfield or of the secondary. So yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I wouldn't say it's quite as clear a connection, but of all things considered, yeah, it's not a premium premium position. All right, so then let's take it right on down to Indianapolis, finish second in the division, tied with Tennessee in the win-loss column at 11-5, and five, but slightly lower due to uh, tiebreakers. Uh, they drafted defensive end Quitty Paye, defensive end Dayo Odiyingbo, Jesus Christ, Josh, Kylan Granson, uh, sorry, tight end Kylan Granson, safety Sean Davis, quarterback Sam Ellinger, wide receiver Mike Stray-Chan, um, and offensive tackle Will Fries. Mike Stray-Chan sounds like like Michael Strahan making a very sly comeback. Um, yes. Uh, all right, so what do you think about uh, this group of guys with two defensive ends back-to-back in Indianapolis? Um, I really like the Quiddy Pay pick. I think it's good value there. I think he could definitely come out of the straps and be the number one edge rusher, um, just athletic freak, and, and definitely fits into their biggest need along that line. Having him lined up right there next to DeForest Buckner is going to be huge for them. Um, again, it's one of those teams where they didn't have a lot of holes, and the holes they did have, they were able to fill pretty essentially or pretty uh, pretty well. Um, defensive line was their biggest problem and boy they just filled it up round one and two um didn't have any picks in round three um sam ellinger i should say his brother just passed away um last week he was a, a safety i think or a linebacker for texas um and will fries uh went to grow up in my mom's hometown went to penn state no big deal pretty cool um but yeah overall pretty good class i think this moves the needle a little more for the Colts because it's more certainty than uh, the Titans draft. And while they're both in similar situations, um, this kind of solidified the team more than the Titans draft did for the Titans. Uh, the big difference just being Ryan Tannehill versus Carson Wentz. You know, the both teams have good offensive lines. Both teams have good running backs. Both teams have, you know, a, a good receiving core whether it be top heavy like Tennessee or, um, you know, some depth to it, like uh, Indianapolis, they definitely have question marks there um, on both teams. So I think Indianapolis is, is Indianapolis is a step behind Tennessee just because of the question marks that are Carson Wentz, but overall fair draft. Yeah, it's um, it's a very interesting race here between Indy and Tennessee. Um, Indianapolis feels like the team is slightly more complete in a lot of ways, but that question mark that they've had a quarterback for the past several years 
looms very large. And that's why this draft, well, it definitely seems to stack up much better in comparison to the Tennessee draft, just because it didn't seem like they addressed too much of their immediate needs as compared to what Indianapolis did. Um, it's still tough to, again, pick a point of how much the needle moves when your quarterback play is a guy that was a third overall pick in the draft that the team that drafted him was like, we can't keep doing this. Um, second, he was second. Goff was third. Yeah, golf, golf was first. Oh, sorry, Goff was uh, first. That's Wentz right. Was second. Yeah. Who was third? Oh, uh, I don't remember. That doesn't matter. Um, irregardless, suck on that. Um, yeah, it's it, I, it, who wins this division is, I think, going to ultimately come down to how well Carson Wentz plays. Joey Bosa, then Ezekiel Elliott, Jalen Ramsey, Ronnie Stanley, DeForest Buckner, Jack Conklin. Jesus, such a Yikes. good draft. Yikes. Um, all right, so then let's take it over to uh, what I think is fair to say is everyone's favorite team, um, really America's team, uh, the Houston Texans. They had not very many picks due to a litany of reasons, um, and so they had no first-round pick. Actually, I don't think they had a second-round pick either. Um, nope. Yep. Yeah, so they were starting. So there's only five players. Uh, all right. So let's just let's just go. They took quarterback Davis Mills. Wide receiver Nico Collins, tight end Brevin Jordan, linebacker Garrett Wallow, and defensive tackle Roy Lopez. Oh, boy. Suck. This team's going to be really, really laughably bad next year. This is going to be a fucking disaster. Why did they take a quarterback with their first pick? Because they might not have Deshaun Watson on the roster. Uh, I mean, Davis Mills, by all means, getting him in the third round at 67, you know, early on in the third isn't bad value. I mean, he's a guy who had a, a really great pre-draft process and, you know, has the prospect um, prestige. He has that kind of uh, high potential, uh, a lot more athletic than you would have expected, more of a prototypical passer, you know, visually. And then kind of surprise you because he's white. Um that being said, I just this doesn't this team is going to be so laughably bad. Like Nico Collins is a okay wide receiver, never really did anything, and I watched him plenty at Michigan. Uh, this is just going to be this team's going to be fucking bad. Uh, I'm I mean yeah I'm sitting here thinking you know, what is what would be their biggest positional need. Um, everything yeah and that's kind of what i settled in on so right now they're um wide receivers their their top three wide receivers are um brandon cooks andre roberts and randall cobb okay and then their starting offensive line is laramie tunsil max sharping cole cabral marcus cannon and titus howard Tight ends are Jordan Ankins and Pharaoh Brown. Quarterback, if not Deshaun Watson, is set to then be Terod Taylor. Running back being David Johnson, then Mark Ingram, then Philip Lindsay. Man, what a bizarre team. It's it's a weird, weird team altogether. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so those wide receivers are awful, but that everywhere. offensive line is trash. Yeah. 
a lot of trash all over. A lot of trash. Yeah, I don't even want to look at the defense, so I'm not even going to bother. There's um, not a whole lot to love. Wow, Desmond King signed there? Holy shit. So does it... This should be short. Does this draft move the needle for you on them? No, this yeah. is okay. they're getting the first overall pick next year. Uh, do they have their first overall pick next year? Twenty twenty two NFL draft. Um, who? Yes. Who has their picks next year? I think they have it. Yeah, they have a first, second, third. They're... What? Yeah, they have a first. Okay. Imagine if they didn't and then finished first overall. Oh, man, it would make me so sad. So right now, they're projected to get the first overall pick, and they're projected to take Sam Howell. But I don't know anything about anything. So, anyway... All right, so let's Sam just take Howell's it over. Good. I don't think he's. I think he'd be like QB four in this class. That would make perfect have sense. Him just for, above Trey Lance. That would make perfect sense for why the Texans would take him first overall then, because yes, they're so bad man. at everything they do. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, then let's take it over to Jacksonville. They drafted quarterback Trevor Lawrence, running back Travis Etienne, cornerback Tyson Campbell. Offensive tackle, Walker Little. Safety, Andre Sisko. Defensive tackle, Jay Tafel. Defensive end, Jordan Smith. Tight end, Luke Farrell or Farrell. I don't know. And wide receiver, Jalen Camp. Um, all right, Corin, this is a bunch of picks here. Bunch of players yeah. here. Two first rounders. What do you make of it? Uh, I, I mean, how can you not like the Trevor Lawrence pick? That's just kind of how it goes. Easy, you're um, a Jets fan. Touche. <laughs> um, but I mean, that that's really what this comes down to. And the rest is just building up on top of that. I don't like the value of Travis Etienne at 25. I kind of don't get it. I mean, I, I could understand wanting to keep two offensive playmakers, superstars that went to college together and played for, you know, four, three years together. Um, but at 25, I feel like they, they could have waited on Travis Etienne. I don't think teams were jumping at the bit chomping at the bit to get running backs um walker little i'd like his potential a little early but at the end of the day you know if he can be healthy i think he could be an excellent offensive tackle i'd like andre cisco a lot i'd like tyson campbell i'd like a good amount of this draft i mean outside of the one questionable travis Etienne pick i think this is a, a pretty good draft uh, again, it's tough to look at a pick as impactful to your uh, entire franchise's fucking existence as Trevor Lawrence and say anything other than it was a good draft. But again, I mean, they they really seem to do it right here. They they Like you said, Travis Etienne at that point might not have been great value, but still they thought offensive side of the ball immediately and got someone that Trevor Lawrence would be comfortable with. That has value, even if the player itself might be a little bit of a stretch, but um, they took another offensive lineman and then they spent time working on the defense and, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars defense has been ravaged over the past few seasons. Um, so there is a lot of uh, retooling and work to get done over there. Um, so if you have a true, true sense playmaker uh, at quarterback, then maybe you can spend a little bit of capital this season addressing the defense for a more immediate boost and then 
next season build on your offense or even throughout the off season or for via trade acquisitions, what have you. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of the converse of what the jets did, um, which was take a bunch of offensive side of the ball players first, and then address some defensive spots later on. But uh, it certainly is a strategy. Uh, can't fault him for it. I'm glad the jets didn't do it. Um, Cause I'm mad that I would, I would have been mad if they did. I've seen them do it too many times. It makes me sad. Um, Go kitties, man. Go kitties. Yeah. So how much how much does this move the needle for you for Jacksonville? I hate you in the AFC South. <laughs> uh, this year, not much. Uh, well, I mean, I think they're an outside jumping that Houston, they could. right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, so but that's that's a, that's a given anyway. Um, but I don't think it really puts them in any contention for the title or for the, the division title. No, um, nor the wild card I, with how stacked the the wild card position is right now. Right, um, but I do think there's an outside chance if this team really clicks, Trevor Lawrence really clicks, and you know we we talked about um, Indy and we talked about uh, Tennessee that they they have weaknesses. You know they could if um, Derrick Henry gets hurt, there's not a whole lot there in Tennessee to really build the foundational parts of your team out. So I think there's a chance, um, but it's definitely an outside chance. What do you think the um, realistic upper bound is for a Jacksonville season? Ten wins. Wow, really? Maybe nine. Nine probably sounds better. I think nine wins would be the max. Nine and set. Nine and eight. Nine and eight. I think wow. that could be one one game over five hundred. I was going to say seven and ten. <laughs> Uh, I think Trevor Lawrence could really put on a show and, and win them some games. And there's enough pieces there, you know, enough offensive pieces there that they could win a, you know, a high scoring game for sure. Eight more games than they won this season though. Um, yeah, I think, I think once you get into that, like you win your first game and then lose the next 15, it's tough to mentally get yourself in that winning atmosphere when you've lost 10 games in a row, you know? I think when you bring in a guy like Trevor Lawrence, a true leader for your team, but a guy that you can look to and be like, hey, not only is he our leader, he could win us this game all on his own if he can. And I think that mentally would do a lot more for the team than just his play on the field. All right. Uh, I, I, I Well, as you know, I am a skeptic. I, I had said about the Browns for years that I will not buy them as a serious contender until they show that they can be a serious contender, um, which proved to which did me a lot of good for several seasons until they finally actually got good. So I will maintain really? that here. Um, yeah. But anyway, so. Uh, yeah, I. Indy and Tennessee, while they have some faults that Jacksonville doesn't have, mainly at the quarterback position, mm-hmm. um, they're still a, two more well-rounded teams at this point and have more of a track record of success with their current personnel and coaching staff. So I would say that this definitely, like you said, doesn't put them up there yet, but they're fucking Jacksonville might not win a game this season. So. Hey, they'd be the first team to go 0 and 17. That could be something. That would be quite the uh, season if they draft Trevor Lawrence and still cannot win a game. No, no, no. Ja- uh, Houston. 
Oh, I thought you meant Jacksonville going on 17. No, oh, Houston. That is very possible. Rookie Davis Mills, Tyrod Taylor with both lungs punctured. Just yikes. That could be yeah. an ugly, ugly season. He might ask the doctor to puncture the other one just to get out of this shit. <laughs> Um, all right, then let's take this over to the NFC South and let's start off with a uh, already an interesting one because the division winner last year was the New Orleans Saints at 12 and four. Uh, so they drafted defensive end Peyton Turner, linebacker Pete Warner, uh, cornerback Paulson Adebo. So they just took a bunch of P name people, uh, quarterback Ian Book, offensive tackle Landon Young and wide receiver Kawan Baker. Um, and they, they lost this off season quarterback Drew Brees. So this is a team very much so in flux right now. Um, what do you think about their draft and how do you think it goes along with that? What's the opposite of an acquisition? Um, uh, loss, I guess so. I don't know. Um, I, I really don't like this draft much at all. I think they kind of reached out on each one of these picks, Paulson Adebo, I think, is probably the one closest to his value. Uh, Ian Book, I don't have a whole lot of faith in, uh, especially in the fourth round and a guy who's going to come in and probably going to be there to compete with Taysom Hill and um, Jameis Winston. So I just don't I don't like this at all. And I think we're going to see the Saints start taking some serious steps back. I mean, you, you almost got to wonder if they're tanking already. Which I think would be crazy because of how their how complete their team is outside of quarterback, but I just there's nothing here that makes me think that they can kind of make up for that. You know, Taysom Hill has a very very low ceiling. I think overall, I don't think he's the kind of guy who can put the team on his back in any capacity. And James, I still think James Winston's going to be starting. Yeah, I think he's going to be starting. I just don't know if you're going to be fine accepting 25 30 interceptions well I, I i almost wonder if that's why they went defense with their first three picks because they were like look we're gonna ride with Jameis. he's gonna do what he, he's gonna give us a 40 40 season we need someone to stop the mistakes from being too impactful could you imagine if his next season after throwing the first 30 30 season is a 40 40 season Yes, I I absolutely can. That's the best part about it. I absolutely can imagine it. It's beautiful. <laughs> I don't know if he'd get enough playing time to to even approach forty interceptions. I if mean, the motherfucker throws forty touchdowns, he'll get enough playing time to throw forty interceptions. You don't you don't so slap a forty to forty passing touchdown season in this in the face like that. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like you'd really have to just see how the team is doing as a whole because that could be so ugly. I mean, if your defense is banging and you, you win every game 35 to 32, do you give a shit? <laughs> Maybe. If you're winning every game. That's what I'm saying. If you're winning every game. I don't think they would be if he's throwing 40 interceptions. If the defense is great. Ooh. Maybe. I don't know. Uh. Anyway. the So, obviously, this Draft might not be the thing that moves the needle for you, but does their, let's say, off-season picture thus far move the needle for you? Uh, in a negative direction, sure. Yeah. Not in any other way. Agreed. Agreed. Well, and we'll address that, I guess, after we get through the second team, uh, at least, which is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, our reigning Super Bowl champions. 
Uh, they drafted offensive, offensive outside linebacker Joe Tryon. Tryon. Sorry, Joe. Quarterback Kyle Trask. Offensive tackle Robert Hainsey. Wide receiver Jalen Darden. Darden. Linebacker K.J. Britt. Cornerback Chris Wilcox. And linebacker Grant Stewart. Uh, all right. What do you think about Tampa here? Reigning Super Bowl champs. I mean, I don't really love any single one of these individual picks, but at the same time, I don't think they needed a draft class to come in and like they have the exact same team they won the Super Bowl with last season. They didn't need to do anything to keep themselves in contention. And, and it was not a fluky season either. No. And God, it's just it doesn't it doesn't move the needle at all because there's no they're still right there at the top. They're still, you know, essentially the top team team in the NFC. And they're the only team with just a complete certainty for what they're getting this year. They don't need to move the needle. And it's like, all right, we just got ourselves a bunch of depth pieces for, you know, a couple of years down the road, whatnot. And they're just as competitive now as they were last last year. Yeah, it's uh it's genuinely a little bit infuriating. Um but you gotta respect it. Yeah, they they just they just don't it's a draft where they could have gone, eh, we're good. Mm-hmm. See see you guys on Monday. Um, and still been like a very competitive team, which is when does that ever happen? Um so it's mind blowing and infuriating <laughs> and I hate it and I respect it. Um so yeah, it doesn't matter at all. So really but at the same time, the biggest needle moving factor for their divisional standings is the fact that Drew Brees retired and the Saints will probably be garbage this season. But still, um, just because that moves the needle so much, but <laughs> not, 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 not to detract too much from Tampa, just like, like that is a huge, it's, it's tough to get, have a worse off season so far than. Uh, uh, Detroit Watson. Uh, Houston, uh, Houston definitely has had a worse one. Uh, in terms of publicity, yeah. Well, um, I mean, they could have gotten out of this Deshaun Watson situation and have quite the bounty of picks all set, and instead they have nothing. Here's a big pile of sadness. Um, Amen. All right. Well, then let's take it to the Carolina Panthers, who had a haul of picks to work with. Uh, so they took cornerback J.C. Horn. Wide receiver Terrace Marshall Jr., offensive tackle Brady Christensen, tight end Tommy Tremble. Wow, that was so many T's. Tight end Tommy Tremble. What an amazing name Tommy Tremble is. Man, that guy got picked on in uh, in middle school, man. Tommy Tremble? God damn. Um, running back Chubba Hubbard. I forgot that they also drafted Chubba Hubbard. This is the all name draft right it's here. It's a pretty great draft, especially uh, for names. Yeah. Wow. Uh, defensive defensive tackle Davion Nixon, cornerback Keith Taylor, guard Deontay Brown, wide receiver Shy Smith, long snapper ooh ooh Thomas Fletcher, and defensive tackle Phil Hoskins. Imagine being the defensive tackle that gets drafted after the long snapper. That was the first thing I thought of. was like, all right, first day. Oh, who are you? Oh, yeah, I got taken in the sixth. Uh, I snapped the ball. Thanks. Don't don't block really. I snapped the ball really far, but like only like six times a game. If that, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I actually really, really like this draft. You know, J.C. Horn and Terrace Marshall both have tremendous upsides, tremendous, tremendous, tremendous upsides. Um, J.C. Horn's the kind of guy with, you know, Jalen Ramsey kind of attitude and, and not quite that potential, but he could be a very, very good cornerback. Terrace Marshall, if he can be healthy, can be an excellent, excellent wide receiver. Kind of in the mold, right, was in that, you know, same core group as Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson was just kind of, you know, the third wheel there. And by all means, I don't say that as a slight. Uh, Tommy Tremble I, was my biggest riser at tight end uh, throughout this process. I really liked him. Uh, Brady K- Christensen, good offensive line piece. Chubba Hubbard, I think, definitely has a role to fill at running back behind Christian McCaffrey, especially losing Mike Davis. Uh, it's it's a really complete draft through and through. You know, She Smith probably might be my favorite day three pick, um, you know, out there. I think he definitely is a guy who can – break into that wide receiver core i mean i know they have robbie anderson they have dj moore terrace marshall is probably going to be their number three and i think she smith can be a, a really solid number four while you know both of those uh other guys are still there um so really great draft all around for uh carolina one of my favorites yeah, it's a, it's a little bit interesting to see them not go with an offensive weapon after trading for Sam Darnold, but at the same time, their offense is in much better shape than the Jets' yeah, was. So I was just talking about three of their offensive weapons that they no, got. No, I mean, I mean early on. I'm not saying mm. they, they they didn't. I, mean, I guess second, second rounds. Yeah. Shut your whore mouth. How about that? Well, you know, two out of their first three picks were not offensive weapons, which is what I was going for, which is what the point I was Fair. trying to make. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, as you How- said, if you gave me like two seconds, they did end up addressing those needs later on in great effect. And again, just the, just the offense Sam Darnold is walking into is better than the offense that he had with New York. So it's an oh, immediate upgrade. I just want to jump in. How loud is that fucking lawnmower outside my window? Is that quite noticeable? Is it more noticeable than me I just don't throwing hear my it. mic around? Cool. Never mind then. Forget I said a thing. I usually try to. Um, okay, that one's that one stung. All right. Yeah. I, I actually edit all your parts out of the show. I don't know if you listen you to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's you, just me just, responding to a ghost. Whenever I make a good point, you just kind of like dub over it. Yeah. Well, what, what I do is I go back and I record all your parts. Mm, okay. So I'm really was, just talking to myself. I was really hoping you would keep my voice and just like pretend to live it and just more low effort, if you will. I think that would just be a, a little bit more character for the show. Maybe I'll just start like like tone pitching your voice like up very high. So it sounds like I'm talking to Alvin and the Chipmunks. So I just sound like a normal person. No, not not not. No, very high. Like 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 comically high. Yeah. Now I wonder what your voice would sound like, like a half octave up. Uh, I feel like we have that technology if we really we do have that technology, but I also don't feel like exploring it because that would take more time out of my day. Touche. Yeah. I agree. It's not much of a difference maker for me. It doesn't move the needle for me that much, you know? No. Uh, speaking of needle moving, how much does this draft move the needle for you for Carolina's ability to compete within the NFC South? A fair amount, but at the same time, competing in the NFC House, NFC South is going to be tough. You know, we NFC saw South the Falcons House. to talk about. You know, outside of the fact that this is still a team that their windows a few years out. Um, I mean, they're basically just going to have to wait until Tampa Bay kind of relinquishes complete control over the division. Um, 
You well, know, Atlanta's still there, but I think that defense is so bad that they're not a serious contender. Um, let me ask it to you this way, Ben. Um, let's let's reference it against the Saints. Do you think that this draft combined with again the Saints offseason, uh, does this move Carolina over New Orleans for you? Uh it really comes down to Jameis Winston and Sam Darnold. Um, I think Sam Darnold will probably be able to put up better overall numbers if we take, you know, ball security into account. Um, and like the weapons he has around him are kind of on par with what I think uh, Jameis Winston's going to have in, in um, New Orleans. Uh, but I think the saints still have a more complete team. So overall, I think the saints might still have the slight edge at overall record, overall complete team ability to perform. But uh, I definitely would not be surprised if Carolina had a much more efficient offense. Um, and if they, their defensive pieces kind of come together, you know, your Turcos Matos, Brian Burns, um, you know, the defensive back pieces that they have there i think they could they can jump new orleans this year i actually think it's quite likely that they do but uh yeah yeah we shall see see. i just have no faith in this new orleans roster but anyway uh all right so let's take it to the final team that we have to discuss that is the atlanta falcons they drafted tight end kyle pitts safety richie grant guard jalen mayfield cornerback darren hall center drew dahlman Defensive lineman Taquan Graham, defensive end Adetokumbo Ogadunji, uh, cornerback Avery Williams, and wide receiver Frank Darby. Um, so they picked early, and there was a lot of discussion about what they would do with the fourth overall pick since it was widely considered that the first three picks would all be quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And Atlanta also needs a quarterback. For the future, they can, I guess, ride out former MVP winner um, Matt. What's his name? I, Ryan. Matt Ryan. Jesus Christ! It's the worst name in the world, and it escaped me. Um, but they opted, uh, and they're opting to do that. They're opting to just kind of ride him into the sunset and treat this as still an open window for contention, and take um, the highest drafted or the highest uh, tight end prospect in the draft, Kyle Pitts. Um, which is an interesting move to see a tight end drafted ahead of any given wide receiver. Um, the the first dra- pick to be the first target getter to be a tight end instead of a wide receiver, but um, not not like never happens, but just a little uncommon. It's, I guess it's unusual to say the least. Yeah. Um, um, so what, tell me what tell me what you think about the the draft as a whole. I mean, I kind of view Kyle Pitts as a a slightly better prospect than Jamar Chase because of what he can do at a more unique position, uh, a much shallower position. uh, And that just adds a a whole other dynamic layer to what that offense can bring. Having Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Russell Gage, and now Kyle Pitts with a Matt Ryan that is still a good quarterback. He's, you know, I was talking about it with Ethan and, you know, he was kind of wishy-washy on, you know, Matt Ryan the past couple of years. And we looked it up and he's been, wildly consistent and overall a, a good quarterback over the past couple of years. It's just been that defense is so bad and kind of the highlight, the highlighted 
weakness of that team overall, you know, their inability to close out certain games and, and giving up massive leads because of that defense. I get why people would be concerned um, and why you would kind of envision them going after a guy like Justin Fields. It's definitely the guy I thought they should have and would have taken. But Matt Ryan is still a very good quarterback and, and they think he still has several years in him. And Kyle Pitts is such a, such a unicorn of a prospect, such a, such a just Aaron Donald type prospect where you don't expect anyone at that position to be able to do the kind of things that he can do. And just the athletic feats at a position that typically doesn't have tremendous athletes um, is very, very special. So I understand the pick because of who the prospect was, but man, this team needs some serious, serious help on defense. And at the end of the day, you know, Richie Gant or Richie Grant, I should say, you know, Darren Hall in the fourth, those aren't the kind of guys that will make a huge difference for that, that defense. And, you know, three of your first four picks are all guys who are either pass catchers or offensive linemen. And I think that team is going to be in a lot of high scoring games, but this really doesn't move the needle for me as far as the team's concerned overall. It's, it's tough to know where the current iteration of the Falcons really stands. Um, They're coming off a really bad season going four and 12 um, when their true talent has to be, you would think above that. Um, and boy, how did they just not live up to it? Their defense was bad. Their defense was really bad. They allowed the fourth most yards of any team last season, 6,374 yards. The only three teams that allowed more yards than them were the Texans, Jaguars, and Lions in reverse order of yards allowed. Um, it, it, they allowed the opposing team to score on 42% of their um, their drives. They took 800 yards and penalties. Um, That's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's 50 it's, yards a game is, you know, not the craziest thing to hear in the world, but I, there's going to be games where they're over 100, and that's just unbelievable. Yeah, that'll lose... That'll, that, like, that'll lose you games. Yeah. They had a bad year, which again is what makes it's what makes it tough to to decipher where which just who they are. You know, I mean it it's it's tough to to figure because if you look at the offensive side of the ball, the Atlanta Falcons last season finished 18th in the NFL in yards with uh, 5895 total yards. Um by, by passing yards, they were fifth, 4,363. Uh, rushing yards, they were very bad. They were 27th with uh, 1,532. So they're kind of middling there. So like they're bad on defense, good on mm-hmm. passing, shit on running. Right. And it seems as though they're going, well, hey, we can't do a lot, so let's take what we can do. And just fucking go for it. I mean, they're going to have to throw 40 times a game. They don't really have a running back right now. 
No. And you know what's funny is I actually was about to say at least they took a running back and then I, I misread DB or sorry, CB as RB on their draft chart and was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, they, no. they took nobody. I don't know who runs the ball for this team. I don't know either. It's Maybe um, Edo Smith is still there. That's the only name I really would be able to connect with Atlanta right now. It's it's not good. Whatever. Uh, Mike Davis. Oh, OK. Yes, That's so- intriguing to me because I think Mike Davis is the kind of guy who could be a, a, a full time starter. I'll buy it on, you know, I'll be it on the other, on the lower ends. God, words are tough. Um, it's one of those things where it's like uh, I don't necessarily trust him to throw the ball 60, 70. Jesus Christ. I don't expect him to be able to run the ball like 30 times a game, but I think he has some potential to to make some splash plays. But God, yeah, that's that's a very one dimensional offense as far as they're really only going to be throwing the ball. And it's also going to be interesting because this division is full of bad defenses. Mm-hmm. The Saints defense is going to probably be pretty bad. The Falcons defense is going to be awful. The Bucks defense will be wonderful, I'm sure. Um, very, very good. And the Carolina defense will probably be fine. But mm-hmm. between the Saints being uh, highly questionable to probably not great and the Falcons defense being shit, there might be some wild games in the NFC South this season. Yeah, I imagine the Falcons are going to have some pretty insane numbers at the end of the season as far as passing offense and and points allowed, which could be exciting as hell, but not quite the recipe for consistent success. It's not that's not going to get you into the playoffs. Playoffs. So, all right. Um, now that we've gone through each team, kind of full picture, how do you see this division shaking out uh, based on these post draft results? I think Tampa Bay is very, very solidly at number one. I don't so think that's much of a question. Yeah. If I want to flip a coin and get weird with it, I'll put Carolina at two. I don't uh, think you'd be wrong to do it. Yeah. Um, then the Saints at three, and then the Falcons kind of at four with a chance to really uh, make a splash and you know utilize that offense if their defense can take a step up. Um, but I think it's it's a very competitive division in the sense that any one of these teams could beat any other one of these teams um, and it really wouldn't be much of a surprise um, but it's definitely Tampa Bay's to lose very much so I'd, I'd probably go Tampa Carolina Atlanta New Orleans I really think New Orleans is going to have a shit year this year okay I uh, I also I just don't have an a, an excruciating amount of faith in Sean Payton at this point. Ah <laughs> uh, man, I I like Sean Payton as a coach, but I could see them very much having a just wildly off year because of the fact that Drew Brees has been a pretty consistent threat and a pretty consistent uh, piece there for fucking forever. So yeah, and you just gotta you gotta wonder how much. You know, how much co- the coaching is going to change when you don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback manning uh, your offense. You know, there was an adjustment year for Belichick up, up in New England. I mean, obviously he got um, – he had some difficulties with Cam getting 
hurt and, you know, also coming back from an injury. So the quarterback play up there wasn't spectacular, but still, I mean, you know, it wasn't a great season out of new England, even putting the uh, quarterback play kind of to the side. Uh, And it makes you wonder how much does not having, again, a literal first ballot hall of famer uh, be your quarterback. And I'm just, I'm just not sure with how many, interesting plays and game schemes that have come out of new Orleans in the past couple seasons during the Drew Brees decline. It'll be interesting to see how they managed to make some adjustments given the Drew Brees retirement. So Agreed. we'll see, man, Mike Thomas, Alvin Kamara, they could definitely carry the team, but man, I imagine there's going to be some looks towards Jameis Winston during the season. Some serious side eye. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. My friend, it's going to be interesting, but yeah. Uh, all right. We have, we have one division left, my friend. We just have the, uh, the NFC and AFC West to get through. We will do that next time on the show. Obviously there's a lot of other fun things happening. Shohei Otani has been phenomenal. Oh, just pitched another so gem good. last night. Um, there's a big talk. There's a lot of, uh, COVID outbreaks currently happening. Fernando Tatis Jr. has landed himself on the, COVID list. Glaber Torres of the Yankees has landed himself on the on the COVID list in addition to seven or six other Yankees players and staffs who have all been put on the COVID list because of a small outbreak on a team that has reached the 85% threshold, which raises the question of, one, is that high enough? And two, is J&J full of shit? Um, but regardless, there's there are other things happening. We get it. We're trying to get through this shit so we can devote full episodes to those topics going down the road. So we'll yes, get there. Sir. Uh, all right, Corwin, anything else before we wrap it up for real? Uh, get vaccinated, but you're going to feel like shit the next day. So get vaccinated. Yeah, just just take the day off afterwards. Get a pillow. Get ready to take a nap. Get some microwavable food so you don't have to try very hard. Oh, yeah. No, I am I'm very much taking advantage of that today. Yeah. Well, all right. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. We do not post from there very often, so if you want to follow... Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracing. Um, and if you'd like to send us emails, you can do so at juicing the numbers at gmail.com. And uh, until Monday, y'all have a good one. Bye.